0: Well, good morning, church. We invite the ushers to come forward, and they have a copy of a, a Bible. That if you don't have one, please feel free to uh, take it home with you, uh, being a gift from us, uh, so that that way you can follow on in in long in this series on First and Second Peter. Uh, there's a lot of great truths that that come out of Scripture that I know that many times we kind of wrestle with. And last week when Peter. Uh, was we were looking at Peter's life right at the get-go as he's writing this letter, that uh, Tony kind of addressed it in looking at 1 Peter th- uh, 1, 3 through 6, that we have this living hope. And this living hope is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that God is keeping an inheritance for us in heaven that can't perish or soil or fade. And kind of one of his uh, key takeaways was our hope looks beyond the current struggles to an incredible future. And as I thought more about that this week, I thought of, of how many times uh, that uh, we hear a truth like that, and some just resonate with it. They take off with it. They say, that's how that explains my life. But then other times, we, we just don't see it uh, because of what we're going through. And uh, it just doesn't seem to, how can I see this when, what I'm seeing right in front of me uh, just doesn't make sense, doesn't bring clarity to that example that is being taught. And uh, when I was looking at this passage and uh, thinking of that truth that Tony shared last week, my mind went to a stereogram, a 3D stereogram. How many of you have ever seen one of those? Well, good, there was at least a, a, maybe a dozen people. Uh, when the first service, nobody raised their hand. So it really made me feel old. Uh, But uh, I've included a stereogram in the bulletin for you that you can take home. I don't know if there's enough lighting here that will really, uh, the more I thought about it, uh, that you can be able to see it. But in that stereogram, uh, the image that you should see right here, uh, this is the image that you should see in it. And uh, I know this week I had so much fun with it. Uh, because some people would look at this and, you know, start like this and pull it away. And I don't see it. And then uh, others would go, uh, oh, yeah, I see it. And, uh, but I remember one time when I was doing this, I walked into Matt's office after doing this. And, and one of the things I've learned is I've almost had to look at it cross-eyed for a minute. And my eyes almost locked and so I'm going in looking at Matt, and I'm going, things don't look so good in here. <laughs> and so maybe I'm at an age now where I shouldn't be doing this because I might have a, a, something happen to me that will cause my eyesight to go a little bit weird uh, as I get older. But what I want to say to us is that how that stereogram applied is that as I was looking at that back when, in my time, all right, when you could go in the mall and you could be able to look at these stereograms, you could be able to, somebody would tell me, you got to get up close and you got to pull it away, and you'll be able to see that there's an image in there. And uh, I, I, at the first, maybe a couple of times I did it, I was just getting really frustrated. I don't see it. It doesn't make sense. How can an image be in there when all I see is that? And, uh, and that's kind of how it is with life sometimes. We can see this image, the background, kind of dictates that things just don't look right. But within the center of that of that background is this image of a bird. And when I was thinking of that, man, how in my life, when I go back, it'll be 50 years in June that I came to faith in Christ, that my faith was so new, so fresh, and I had not grown up in the church, and so there was a lot of stories that, didn't make sense to me. I mean, how in the world could you kill a a big Goliath with just simply a stone when everybody was using spears and swords? Doesn't make sense. Or parting of a Red Sea, and how does that happen when you can put a staff at the edge of the the shoreline, and all of a sudden this water separates? And so it took a while for my faith to finally take on that, what that truth was saying, and what was God doing, and and I can honestly say that by year 10, year 15, year 20, my faith was getting stronger and stronger. It was simply because I was learning the truths, and they were coming alive to me as people were not only explaining it, but also as I was reading Scripture, how things began to become more clear to me. And so, you know, I'm glad that we're looking at this series out of First and Second Peter because you're going to see that Peter had a moment when he was here with Jesus on the face of this earth. He was learning something about himself and about Jesus and how those two interact, and there was a lot for him to learn. And there was this one moment, and it's found in Matthew chapter 14. I want you to turn there. Uh, It's page uh, 685 in those Bibles that you received. There's kind of this one moment It's a defining moment in Peter's life where Peter does something that the other disciples don't do. And when Jesus comes walking on water, and it's in verse, we'll start with chapter 14, verse 22. Then immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat And go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, Come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and was beginning to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why do you doubt? Peter, in this moment, is doing what other disciples haven't done. They're still boat huggers. You know, they're still cleaning the side as they see the storm. And Peter doesn't even, at the moment, see these storms as Jesus calls him to come and obey him by getting out on the water. So Peter gets out of the boat and he starts walking on the water. He's fine because he sees the image. He sees Christ. He doesn't see the storm. The background is very, is kind of filtered away as he only sees Christ. But there comes a moment when the storm becomes very real, very vivid, and he begins to sink. And as a result of him sinking, he cries out and Jesus says, take my hand, and so Peter takes the hand of Jesus and Jesus says to him, oh man, oh, oh you of little faith. Wow. I've heard pastors speak on this topic and sometimes I, I hear that they were kind of like, Peter just had this little faith. And, uh, and then started talking to us as if, okay, you know, we have great faith. But I got news for you. Not too many of us to get out of the boat, right? We wouldn't get out and walk on water. Why? Fear grips us. The storm becomes very real because that's all we can see. We can't see the truth that Jesus said to Peter, come, follow, get out of of the boat and come towards me. And at that moment, when Peter hears the words, oh, you of little faith, I don't he was at this place of his life where I don't think you can see it had quite matured to the place that we're going to find him in as we continue on a little bit in looking at at 1 Peter. He went through a maturing process. His faith was growing. He was listening to the teachings of Christ and, and he had his own questions. Every disciple had their questions. They're observing what Jesus is doing. They hear what he's saying. But even some of them struggled with what he was saying and just couldn't believe that it was true. So when I think of that idea of little faith, is that talking about size, is it talking about amount, or is it talking about a degree of faith? Or I wonder if it just simply it refers to the difficulty of the truths that are believed. Because there are just some passages of Scripture, right, that you read, that you say you know, I just don't know if that's true or not. I, 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 I can't believe that that's just as easy as it is, that there's something more difficult, there's something, and so i got to study more before I just get out of the boat, so to speak, and begin to walk on water. Some of the truths that are in Scripture, we find we ha- it takes much thought, it takes insight, it takes understanding, it takes research, it takes investigation, and even takes a deep spiritual experience in order to believe them. There's nothing like going through something where a truth becomes so vivid that you realize God is doing something in this very moment. And all of a sudden, that truth becomes expanded because now your personal life is invested in it. You're seeing how it's being worked out in your life. And that truth becomes... Even more real. I know I heard a pastor speak at one time about uh, that he is attempting to live out Proverbs as he memorizes the book of Proverbs. He wants to put a personal application into it. He doesn't just want to hear the content; he wants to apply it to, to his life. You know, in a way, that's the way we all should be about the things that Jesus is teaching. It's not just for good reading; it's for us to live. It's for how we interact with people. It's about relationships. So when you look at what Peter has gone through, the defining moment in his life was when he saw the resurrected Christ. And you heard the truth taught last week of that living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the transformation of Peter, And the disciples. That when that truth came home, that it wasn't just something Jesus talked about, he now they are experiencing this resurrected Christ. So the teachings took on teeth, the teachings took on that that sense of credibility that what Jesus is saying is true. So I want us to turn in 1 Peter 1, verse 7 through 9. We're going to look at that passage uh, this morning and verses uh, on page 850. Let me just say that in this teaching, I can so, first of all, I'm just grateful that I have a chance to share it. Because I'm not the same man that now at age 68, that I was in that day when I was just this young teenager that came to faith in Christ. There's been a lot of experience, a lot of impact, where sometimes I just felt like giving up, when I felt like it wasn't worth to continue on, because the truths of Scripture just weren't making sense. And when we begin to read verse 7, 1 Peter 1, you see here is a design. That God has for defining and developing our faith. Verse 7 These have come so that the proven genuineness, what's these have come? It's the trials. These trials have come so that, that the proven of your genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, shows you a great value. Our faith is worth more than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Maybe in the margin of your Bible or you could at least in your uh, bulletin, Write this statement down, because this is a, a truth that you need to hang on, which is God has a design for the trials that we face in life. God has a design. You know, if God wants to grow us, and if, you know, we look at uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. And you look at that change from old to new, and you, you see that there is... There is something very different to one who finally begins to embrace Christ and begins to live the Christian life. There is a change that starts to happen. But how does the change become even more intense? How does the change of being more like Christ really start to take hold? And that's where we're going to look at the design that God uses for the use of trials that we face in life to more refine us into the kind of Christian that, that reflects His image. You know, when you look at this, it says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. And I was thinking while Tony was teaching on that last week, just that whole thought of that, uh, In all this you greatly rejoice, though even now for a little while. Do we find it hard to rejoice and to have joy when things are just happening? that doesn't make sense, some of us over the last week, last month, maybe it was even this yesterday, that you started going through something that caused you to be discouraged, that caused you to just, is God forgetting me? Is is, is he upset with me? Is he disciplined me? And all those questions start to ring in our minds when we start to go through some of this heat. But the idea, as he says, the way that faith gets stronger is through the refinement of fire. It makes sense that the only way that gold with all of its impurities can become more pure is that it has to be put on fire. It has to burn away the dross, all those impurities in that, in that bar of gold that to, to get that out so they can be skimmed off the top and that the gold could even become more pure. That is the example that uh, Peter is given regarding the way that, he, that our, our faith becomes more refined and more pure through the fire of life. Guess what? You don't have to, when it happens, it's not going to give you a notice. You're not going to get something that will tell you, oh, listen, I just want you to be aware, uh, but uh, God didn't send you an email and say, I just want you to be aware that uh, tomorrow... It's going to heat up. It'd be nice, wouldn't it, so that you kind of be prepared that, that God is going to do something, and, uh, and, and it could be uncomfortable. But that's not the way it works. Life happens. Because life happens, there can be things going on around us that starts to cause us to question faith. Is God really real? Does He care about me? Is He on vacation? When I thought of this refinement of fire, and I started doing just some word search on that whole idea of refinement of fire, I found this, you know, I, I don't know how many times I had read through the book of Malachi and uh, had missed this passage in Malachi 3, verse 2 through 3, that there had been this, um, they had been breaking the covenants. And they'd even gotten to a place where they were saying, "What is those people who are doing evil? It's really they're good. They had really messed it all up. And in this passage, you find in verse uh, two, it says, "But who can endure when this day of his coming comes? Who can stand when he appears?" For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings in Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years. Notice verse 3 says, He will sit as a refiner and purifier of of silver. So in my little cubicle, I was just processing that and thinking about this idea of setting and refining. And I started kind of looking at images and came across this image of a refiner setting and beginning to work on refinement of gold or silver. And this illustration, I've heard, I read it several different ways. I just chose to kind of use this one because it talks about a woman who visited a silversmith, kind of like this. As she watched the silversmith, he held a piece of silver over the fire and let it heat up. He explained that in refining silver, one would need to hold the silver in the middle of the fire where the flames were the hottest, as to burn away all the impurities. The woman thought about God holding us in such a hot spot. Then she, then she thought again about the verse that says, He sits as a refiner and a purifier of silver. Malachi 3.3 She asked the silversmith if it was true that he had to sit there in front of the fire the whole time, that the silver was being refined. The man answered that yes. He not only had to sit there holding the silver... But he had to keep his eyes on the silver the entire time it was in the fire. For if the silver was left a moment too long in the flames, it would be destroyed. The woman was silent for a moment. Then she asked the silversmith, How do you know when the silver is fully refined? He smiled at her and answered, Oh, that's easy. It's when I see my image in it. You know... The reference that our faith is like pure gold, it needs to be refined, that God takes our lives and He holds it over to the hottest point of the fire because it needs that intensity of heat to burn away the impurities. And some of you may say, well, as I hear you say that, Randy, I kind of think that God probably took a little vacation because I think I already have burned up you know, we're already discouraged. We're already frustrated. But the illustration of the silversmith who sits there and says, i got to keep my eye on that silver. Because if he lets it stay too long, it burns up. Have you ever thought that God uses the fire's of trials and difficulties to make us more pure. And there are times when I'm sure you feel it's really hot. Times when you'd rather run because you don't like the heat. Times that you wish that there would be another way in which God could work on my faith and help me to grow in more into his image than having to go through that kind of intensity. But just the thought that he sets there, keeping his eye on it, says that whatever you are facing right now, right now, whatever is frustrating, you, whatever you struggle with, whatever trial that is either you're in or have been or in the process of beginning to walk into it, that God is right there the whole time and he will not let us be burned up. That is the confidence. That's that living hope that says that we can look beyond the the image that I showed you in the 3D stereogram and we can't see Christ, we can't see the bird that's in that image. Listen, whatever storm, like Peter, whatever storm we're facing, it's hard for us to see the image of Christ it's hard to see that God is in the process of doing something in my life because the storm around me is drawing my attention away. But the best part of this whole thing is when the silversmith says, I know when it's done, when I can see my image in it. Every trial You go through. God's design is to help us to burn away the impurities, take that self centeredness, that pride, whatever it is that needs to be burned away, so that the image of Christ can be reflected in the purity of that faith. But we don't like it, do we? I think we'd rather run. We'd rather think that there's a better way. But I found another quote that I thought was really good. It just said, there's no painless path to heaven. I bet if we did, if there was a painless path to heaven, everybody would want to be on it. But there is no painless path to heaven. It is no more possible to become pure painlessly than it is to be burned painlessly. Purity comes through refinement. The refinement of our faith makes us more valuable. All those impurities have been burned away, and we're beginning to experience the more fullness and the goodness of God. I remember a really good friend of mine who was uh, been, he had been serving in youth ministry with as one of the volunteers, and he came down with cancer. And he had, with this chemo treatment, uh, many times in such great pain, and you would see inside his mouth the, the blisters from the, from the chemo. And, and you would expect whenever you'd walk in his room that he would just be upset and complaining about the pain. But I watched as nurses and even doctors would come into his room and ask for him to pray for them because they said, we see in him something we don't see in a lot of other patients. And when I'd have conversations with him, he'd say, you know, I couldn't go through this if I couldn't see Jesus working in my life. And he said, what's the worst thing that can happen to me? I get to go be with Jesus. When we had his funeral, the whole balcony was filled with doctors and nurses from the hospital in Philadelphia that he was a patient in. And the story after story after story that we heard from these doctors and nurses was that he was a rare individual who, in the midst of what he was facing, he always seemed to have a different perspective. And I thought, Lord, you've really turned the heat up on my friend. But the day he passed away, I knew, as well as his whole family knew. It's all done. It's suffering's over with. What he had so desired to experience, that, that love, that hope, that living hope, the idea that something better is waiting for us, an inheritance, something that, that can't be destroyed, he got to walk in and receive it. But the process getting there was not easy. In First Peter one verse seven, I just kind of want us to kind of look at this for a minute, in the fact that it says these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold. Talking about this, these trials, Heather, the idea is to make this faith of ours even more valuable because we've gone through this refinement by fire, as it says may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Think of it this way. How much of Jesus can be reflected in your life right now? Maybe what needs to happen is more of God's refinement, the fire, the trials of life that will work on our lives to help us to be more and more and more like Him, to be even more pure, I like to say that, coming up on fifty years of walking with Jesus, that uh, I'd be done. You know, he doesn't need to turn on the heat anymore. It's never easy. <laughs> There's always another challenge. There's always another time when the trials that I'm facing has a chance to bring out even burn off even more of the impurities. Of my faith. In verses 8 through 9, it says, Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's interesting that Peter is kind of addressing what he sees them doing. It's kind of some of the same things that Jesus would even say to his disciples. And so now to the people he's writing to, he said, even though you've not seen him, you love him. Kind of that importance of, regardless of what I may face in life, I still love my Jesus. He still means more to me than anything else. Then he says, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. In other words... The faith is confident in the trusted for what he will do. We know that God is in the process of conforming and and transforming my life into his perfect image. And that we're filled then with an inexpressible and glorious joy to know there's nothing like walking with Christ to bring us joy, to know that no matter what happens, I know that I am loved. I'm completely loved, completely forgiven. That God is very much aware of what's going on in my life and he wants me to be stronger. He wants to use these trials that we face to reform and shape us into more and more who he is. And that you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. <laughs> Did you see that that assurance that comes that he says even if I was to die, I would be with him eternally. It's like experiencing that salvation that completion, even right here, because I see more and more my faith is growing and I'm seeing more and more of Him at work in my life. And He said, you're even experiencing all of this even though you've never seen Him. Why would Peter say that? Could it be for us? Could it be that there were a lot of people who are going to read this letter that Peter wrote and they haven't seen Jesus i wonder if maybe the reason G- uh, peter is teaching this is because it is the method by which whenever the storms start to pull us away and we need to turn back because we've drifted so far that this is what I need to go through. I need to love him. I need to believe in him. I need to rejoice in him. That it's kind of a tool in which Peter, he's looking at, you're all spreaded abroad. Trials are kind of coming your way. Don't lose sight. Don't lose the faith. Seeing what you cannot see. John Piper wrote an article about this idea of seeing what we cannot see. And he says this the gospels are better than being there. The gospels are better than being there. And he writes, As you and I read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see the glory of Christ far more clearly than most of the people who knew him on earth could see him. Those people only caught glimpses of him. But the Gospels give you four complementary portraits of Christ inspired by God and covering the whole range of his teaching and his ministry. You are allowed to be taken into the inner circle of the disciples where you never could have gone. Though you do not see him, you are allowed to see him far better than thousands who saw him face to face. Because you see him with the eyes of the heart, you love him and trust him and rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. What a powerful point. That the Gospels can give us a better glimpse of who Jesus is. Then, if we would have just seen him like a walking up on the ridge. Oh, there's Jesus. But for us, and for those who are reading Peter's letter, they haven't seen him. But the letter gives them a glimpse of who Jesus is and what he can do in our lives. That's why Hebrews 11, 1, when it gives us, it's kind of the the faith chapter of Hebrews and gives us the idea that faith is the confidence of, in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see, is that we can have confidence and assurance that even though I can't see it right here, even though that stereogram doesn't allow me to see that image, that I have to really concentrate on it, faith allows me then to go there. To show me the image. In all those passages of Scripture, you struggle to believe. Faith, as it grows, provides you with an opportunity to see past whatever it is I face and see the power and the glory of a a resurrected Christ. In Hebrews eleven thirteen, 13, it says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. They welcomed by faith even what was promised from a distance. When I go back to the early stages of my Christian life and thinking of this Hebrews eleven thirteen, 13, there was a lot of promises that I thought, God is promising this. But I was having a hard time believing that that was really for me too. And it seemed like that the more I grew in my faith, the more that I worked through the process of God's refinement in my life, things begin to make sense. And it wasn't when I thought of this Hebrews eleven thirteen passage, where it really came home to me was the day that I was at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Washington, D.C. President Ronald Reagan was going to be a keynote speaker. And uh, I was sitting back quite a ways from the, the front, and I saw the door in the corner open, and in walks President Reagan. And the room—it just—it was kind of like it just changed. There was an applause. I only caught a glimpse of who Ronald Reagan is. He doesn't know my name. I. Sure didn't know him personally. But one thing about it, by the things I read, I began to understand who this man was. And I wonder if sometimes, even though it's from a distance, we don't see things all right here clearly. There is a message that God wants to speak to us that will help you to navigate through whatever you're facing And even though it's off there in the distance, you see this truth, and and how do you bring this truth in? But beginning to reflect on it, begin to meditate on it, allow that verse to become real for you. I want to give you three takeaways. The first is this, God wants to refine us, but it is our choice whether we want to be refined. Refined. You see, whenever things get hot, what do we do? We back up, right? Because we don't like the feel of the intensity of heat. When God starts the refining process, it's up to us to allow Him to continue to do His work because many people have abandoned the faith when the heat was turned up. They weren't going to allow the burning away of the impurities of life to allow that dross to be taken off the top so that their faith could become more pure because they made it their choice not to receive what God was going to do. Second, our trying experiences today are preparing us to reflect Him more. As you think about whatever you're going through right now, just remember God is preparing you for the future where your faith will be stronger for the other things that you may face in life. And then finally, great faith simply believes truths that are difficult to believe. You know, it's okay. If there are just some things you just have a hard time believing. The next time you begin to feel the fire, Know that God is there to burn away. He's putting, you off, he's putting you over the intense heat so that He can burn away those impurities. He can make your faith stronger. He's never going to walk away when it's right in the middle of the fire. He's going to be there to make sure that you don't burn up. You don't start running away. He wants us to be refined. He wants us to reflect his image in us and the process he uses is called refinement by fire. Let's pray. Father. I'm sure there are people here this morning that what they're going through is it's hard. They may have even found themselves running, trying to avoid the heat. Struggling to believe because we interpret as something so bad that I just can't believe God would love me and do that. But Lord, you've revealed to us in the Scripture today that every part of our life is important and that you want more than anything else to bring that your face would be reflected in our lives. And so Lord, if there's a tendency to run, may today we just stop and say, Lord, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can hold on to this. Can't you find an easier way? So, Lord, thank you for speaking to us today. May our faith grow. May we accept the trials, the the fire as a process, as a design for us to be more like you. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Why don't we all stand? Sometimes it's hard, isn't it, to keep our eyes above the water? Because what we see in front of us doesn't look good. But let me just read this verse 7 again. These trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. When he can see his reflection in your life. This week, contemplate. Think about that. That whatever you may be facing, that God is right there, and He's walking you through this, not leaving you alone, but to make you stronger in your faith. God bless you. Grace and peace, you're dismissed. Oh, by the way, if um, I want to say this, Knowing, knowing that some of us in this room may be needing special prayer. Please, over to my uh, right, under the cross, there are some people to pray with you. Or you may just want to grab somebody close by and just say, could you pray with me because right now what I'm feeling is difficult and I need some prayer support. So please grab somebody and have a time of prayer with them as well.